Well, I want to just, could we turn the mic down here a little bit? I'm a little bit hot up here. Uh, Wanted to, first of all, just let everybody know, we're going to have an amazing time tonight. I hope you could come and have a great time of fellowship. It's going to be an amazing time. You know, uh, I want to just tell you, uh, before I get into my message or share a a little word this morning, um, you know, Carol and I, we, we really take it, is a is a great honor to uh, serve in this church. Everyone is important. Everybody is important to us. I would do this even if I wasn't even on salary. In fact, Carol and I several years ago we we interned in, did an interim pastorate in Roseburg, Oregon, and uh, you know we didn't we didn't come down here to take a job. In fact, pastoring is not about a career. It's not a career move. And God help any church that has a pastor who's made a, quote, career move. That's not what it's about. Uh, you know, it's, it's, the Bible refers to it as a calling. It's, it's re- referred to. Paul, Paul made reference in Corinthians. He says, you have 10,000 teachers, but you have not many fathers. And really, ministering here is about relationship. I, I got a, I got a call yesterday before I got up on Saturday morning. I got a call from a woman, that, uh, that actually Carol and I led to the Lord uh, several years ago. It was way back in the '90s. In fact, this particular woman that called me yesterday uh, was going to commit suicide. And she called me yesterday. Now, this was way back in the 90s. In fact, she, she happened to be in her bathtub when she called me back in the 1990s. She was going to take her life because she didn't have the Lord in her life. She had come to a point where she was exhausted. She was burned out. And she said to me at that time, she says, I have no reason to live. And when she called me, she called me and she was very mad. She says, I just found you in the phone book and I'm, I, I, I don't know what to do. And in the background, I could hear babies crying. It was her babies. And she wanted to, she was in a bathtub and this is what she said. I don't want to make a mess when I bleed to death. And I literally, on the phone, I knew it was, a, it was a 911 crisis situation. But this lady, she, she came to the Lord. And, but, but long story short, while I was on the phone, she says, I know what you preachers want. All you want to do is just get our money. But I just want to know, is there a God in heaven that really cares? I mean, she was really upset. I said, first of all, I don't charge for counseling. And I said, I would love to just talk to you. And that blew her, blew her away because she thought, well, all you want is money. I said, no, I'm not interested in your money. We're interested in you. I'd love to just talk to you. And she couldn't believe that. She said, in fact, I said, I would love if you could get out of that bathtub. And I asked her, are you married? She says, yes, my husband is a Um, uh, he owns, they actually owned a CeCe's Pizza uh, franchise here in the Garland area at that time. 
And I asked her if, if she, her, she would bring her and her husband into the church that day. I said, I want to see you guys right now. She couldn't believe it. She's just, you mean you take time right now to see us? I said, yes, I will take time right now to talk to you. Because I knew it was a dire crisis situation. I was on the phone with her for about three hours. This was way back in the 1990s. Anyway, she came in. She brought her husband. And they were in our office. Actually, no, they were at, we brought them. We, we invited them into our living room in our home. That's right. And that day, that very day, they both accepted the Lord, come to Christ. They joined the church at that time. They, they since then moved away. Uh, they were in the church for a couple of years. They moved away. But she called me yesterday morning. And she said, Pastor Ray, I need you to pray. She says, I remember you were a real father to my husband and I. And she says, we're going through some really desperate marital uh, problems right now, and we need the Lord. And so uh, she called yesterday, and we were able to just minister to her on the phone. How many of you know God is a God who is truly a refuge and a help in the time of need? You know, today people are desperate, and they need help. And uh, she just called, and we, we was able to minister there. But uh, in fact, it's just coming into my, my series this morning, I, I just want you to know that, you know, church, church is not just an address on a map. It's not, it's not a corporation or just a 501c3. It is about family, and everyone's important. Your needs are important. When David got up here a few minutes ago and he was sharing about a toothache, to some that may not be a very significant thing. But you know what the Holy Spirit's trying to say to us, even about a toothache? Is that every aspect of your life is important. And that God, God wants you to know that the things you're walking through right now, concerns, the cares of life, are important to Him. And that's why he says in Matthew 11 is that we need to always feel welcome. We're to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And he promises to give us rest. Amen. But, but we need to come. You know, Jesus made a statement also in John 10. He said, I come that ye might have life and life more abundantly. You know, one thing I've realized is that abundant life doesn't just fall out of the sky. I love, uh, Jerry, your word today. How, how many of you received what Jerry said? I, I, that was such a powerful and perfect uh, metaphor that she lived, you know, it's beautiful to watch the waves in the ocean, but the Lord wants us to actually get in the water. He wants us to really get in uh, the presence of the Lord is something you actually have to enter into. I've had people come to church, and you'll have two kinds of people. Some will say, wow, that was an amazing service. God moved. The Lord healed my body, gave me wisdom. And then the same, a different person will say, I didn't get a thing out of the church today. Well, the, problem, the, the two differences is one chose to enter in, the other chose to stand and watch. 
This, that's, that's what happens. You either enter into faith, you, you enter into your miracle, you enter into your healing, or you stand back and you watch, and you can actually just become critical. And the devil, by the way, the devil comes to church too. Do you know that? The devil, how many know the devil comes and he sits on your shoulder while the ministry is preaching or the worship's going on, and he says, you're not going to get nothing out of church today. God has forgotten you. Nobody cares about you. And if, if you don't stop and say, I reject that in Jesus' name. If, if you'd, how many of you know we're in a spiritual battle here? Or may, maybe this week you fell on your face. You fell in the mud and uh, you dropped the ball. Maybe something happened. Maybe, maybe you had a battle with your spouse before you came to church today. The devil loves to just slam you with condemnation. So you aren't worthy to go to the house of God, you hypocrite. I don't know if anybody's ever had that kind of assault in your mind. But that, the devil does that to us. And you need to rise up and say, I am a blood-bought, washed believer. God has destroyed the powers of darkness. He's delivered me from the curse. I am a man of God. I am worthy of His presence because it's not about what I've done. It's what He has done for me. And you begin to exchange those ashes for His beauty. You begin to put on the garments of praise. You, you begin to embrace the oil of joy. Because there is a spiritual battle. Do you know that God wants to lift your level of faith this morning? He wants to lift the vision of your heart to understand that there's a new normal in your life. He wants you to begin to recognize yourself as a new creature in Christ. You're an ambassador. There's, there is a grace that is upon you that literally makes you contagious and dangerous. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're awful dangerous. Amen. But also now turn to the same neighbor and say, but you're very beautiful. There's a beauty on you. There's, a, there's glory on you. God wants you to know there's a glory. There's a beauty upon you. And that, that glory and that beauty is the very thing that causes your life to shine. And that's the glory. That's the love of God. And you matter. And you are not a victim. You're not uh, a survivor. You're not just a recovering addict. You're a son. You're a daughter of the King. And we need to continually remi remind ourselves that we're seated right now in heavenly places. That's a place of victory. I am not allowing my life. Ray Galligan, I've been growing in this for several years, but I'm not going, I made a decision. I'm not going to allow the circumstances around me to dictate my joy. I will not allow the devil to steal, kill, and rob my joy anymore. It's done. I've, I, I've come to hide the Word in my heart enough to know that the devil will use people, family, he can use your spouse, he can use your job, he can use the weather, he can use politics, he can use something, anything to steal my joy and rob and kill my effectiveness. Because if he can rob my joy, he knows 
you will make no impact for God's glory in the earth. If He can make you think you're defeated, you're a victim, you're, 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 a, you're just a has-been, you're a reject, if He can somehow keep you confined to small-minded thinking, just, you're just a little peon on the planet with no real purpose. If He can do that, then He has succeeded in putting your light out. But you are not that. You're more than conquerors. You're blessed. You're highly favored of God. I, I want to just encourage you this morning to continually renew our minds. Amen? We need to continue to renew our minds. I, I want to I talk to you this morning on a, on a simple subject on how to have a Merry Christmas. Amen? I know this is a deep one today, but, but do you know that Christmas time is they, psychologists, psychiatrists actually say that the holiday season is some of the most stressful and depressing times of the year for a couple of reasons. Number one, a lot of us feel compelled to go into debt for our kids, buy those Christmas presents. Uh, the second reason they say it's depressing and people suffer burnout is because of the fact that they have to get with family members they don't want to get with. Isn't that a sad one? Well, Annie Frida and Uncle Fred's coming over to our house, and you know how she criticizes everything I could. It's amazing how those kind of things begin to build up. and, And what happens is we get into this trap of feeling that we need to perform and go into debt, and we do, 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 do. We're, we're doing things. We're going to every Christmas cantata and the kids at school and the things at school and at the church, uh, and I'm playing the part of the camel, you know, in the, in the, uh, uh, the play or something of that nature. And so we, we just, we get so bombed, barded with all of these things, and then we turn the television on, and, and some of us have even gone so far as getting up all hours of the night to get that iPhone, or, you know, we, we are just run ragged. And then when January 1st comes, guess what happens? We get the credit card bills coming in the mail. And then for the next five months, we're trying to catch up for the, for the guilt in other words, we go into debt because of guilt. Well, if I don't buy and spend what the Joneses are doing and what the Joneses and keeping up with the Joneses, if I don't do that, then I'm just not a really a good parent. And we, we've come under this unnecessary guilt. And I, I felt the Lord literally speak to me about helping us move from burnout to breakthrough. God wants us to... Be, be believers, and I want to just give you some very simple things. But first of all, I want to give you a definition of burnout. If we could turn that up there this morning. Here, here's a definition. I got, got this definition, actually. Definition of burnout is a, is a state of emotional, mental, and physical exhaustion caused by excessive prolonged stress. It occurs when you feel overwhelmed, emotionally drained, unable to meet constant demands as the stress continues. 
You begin to lose the interest and motivation that led you to take on certain role in the first place. Burnout reduces productivity, saps your energy, leaving you feeling increasingly helpless, hopeless, cynical, resentful. Eventually, you may even begin to feel uh, like you have nothing more to give. That's, that's what a good definition of burnout is. If we can go to the next slide. Uh, some of the symptoms. Next slide. Praise God. Here we go. The emotional signs is the sense of failure. You begin to doubt yourself, feeling helpless, trapped, defeated, detached, feeling alone in the world, loss of motivation, increasingly cynical, with a negative outlook, decreased satisfaction, a lack of accomplishment. If we can go to the next slide. Understanding there is a difference. I thought this was good. A difference between stress and burnout. By the way, there is a positive stress. Everyone needs to have a little stress in your life, by the way. Stress is not all negative. There is positive, there's negative stress. But understanding the differences, burnout may be the result of of an unrelenting stress, but it isn't the same as too much stress. Stress, by and large, involves too much. You begin to take on too much. Uh, Too many pressures that demand too much of you physically, psychologically. Stress people can still imagine, though, that if they could just get everything under control, they'd feel better. So it's about managing those things. Next slide. Burnout, on the other hand, is all about not enough. Being burned out means feeling empty, devoid of motivation beyond caring. People experiencing burnout often don't see any hope in their situations. If excessive stress is like drowning in responsibilities, burnout is like being all dried up or emptied. While you are usually aware of being under a lot of stress, you don't always notice when it happens. How many of you have ever felt burned out and not even know you're burned out? You, you, you stop caring. You begin to just say, you know what, I can't go on anymore. Uh, I, I just want to say the Lord wants to bring impartation. You know, when you come to the house of God, Coming to the house of God, one of the reasons why we worship and we pray together, we worship and we seek the Lord, we hear the word. The the intent there is to feed. It's intended to empower. It's intended to strengthen you. Uh, And that's why we come to the house of God. The next, next slide, if we can go on here. Here's some things on how to have a merry cure. So this is a very practical thing before we get into the Word this morning. How many of you know it's good to keep Christ in Christmas? Simply keeping Christ in Christmas simply means this. Bring a change in your thinking. Instead of doing, 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 realize that Christmas is about not what you do, but it's what Christ has done for you. It's about what He has done. Keeping Christ in Christmas is not just about all of the activities, but it's what Christ, what Jesus desires to do for us. He desires to fill us, desires to give us his peace. He desires to re, re, uh, re-energize and just uh, charge your batteries again. And we need to keep Christ in Christmas. And that's obviously dwelling in his presence. Number two, have a plan. Set a budget. Amen? 
ever thought about setting a budget for Christmas? It's important to have a plan. Don't just go out and buy. Have a plan. <laughs> Set a budget. Uh, it's so important to say, you know what? We are going to spend, we're not going to spend any more than $500 this Christmas. If you don't set a budget, wow, you're going to find yourself spending more than you plan. Learn to say no. Everyone say no together. It's okay to say when you're walking through Walmart and Junior's pulling on your pant like, I want that and I want that. No. It's okay to say no. But everybody else has one. I know. We don't. But it's okay. It's all right to say no. If you don't say no, you will be so overwhelmed by those pressures. I don't know about you guys, but I hate to say this about my own sons, but I remember when my boys were small, my wife and I went into debt, but we learned something. After we got those toys they wanted, after five minutes, they were tired of them. And they wanted something else. And I began to realize that those toys that they wanted at the time that lasted five minutes of euphoria was all of a sudden sitting in the back room in a closet out of the way. And so sometimes we, we, we have to learn to walk, work through these things. I know some of you are probably saying, oh, Pastor Ray, come on. Aren't you a grandpa? Don't you like that? Yeah, I love to give gifts. But I'll, we, Carol and I, we've learned that we have to learn to say no. Number four, avoid comparing yourself with others. Man, we, we, we just got to learn to avoid compare. Well, everybody else is getting one. I know we're not. But we're going to focus on some other things. Now, I know some of you are saying, yeah, right, Pastor Ray. It's easier said than done. I know. But when you compare yourself with other people and your kids, kids will do this to you. Kids will put parents under horrible guilt. You've got to learn to, 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 not in an ugly way, but we need to sit down and we need to talk about Christmas. What's Christmas about? I know that in their little minds, it's about getting, 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 getting. But we need to sit down and make Christmas fun and center it on family, center it on relationships. Number five, the next slide there. Teach your children the true joy that comes by giving. Some of the greatest things in our own house, I'm not saying you have to do it. Pick a family. Find someone in your neighborhood community and make it a project to go give to a family or a, an individual that has nothing. Bring your kids with you. This is how to have a great... You know, those kind of memories will make a mark on them forever. I remember one of my sons, we were doing that, and they said, man, Dad... We ought to do this all year around. They love to get. When you teach your children to give, it really gives them a joy because that's the father's heart. We teach them how to give, not just getting. Uh, by the way, I'm all for giving kids, and we want to bless our grandkids and kids. We, we do that. But the focus is on keeping Christ. Also, keep yourself in the presence of the Lord by refreshing yourself. You know, in, in the hustle and bustle and the shop till you drop atmosphere, uh, if, we're, if we're not refreshed and re-energized in the presence of the Lord, 
you are going to drop. <laughs> you're going you're gonna. to. You know, another thing I heard uh, reading this report I, I read on the internet, there are more marriage battles during the holiday seasons because of the pressure and stress of debt. And so I think it's so important that we have a plan. We need to stay in the presence of the Lord. By the way, it's a good thing just to pray together. It's important to pray about, let's pray about Christmas. Let's pray about how we can communicate the joy and God's purpose. And I I know I'm being very practical this morning, but the, the, the seventh thing here is focus on the value and the gift of relationships that God has placed in your life. I think it's so important that we keep the focus on relationships rather than what we're getting or what we're not getting or uh, other things. Just some of these things are so important, so valuable. If you could take your Bible this morning, jump with me into Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5, just for a few minutes. This, this is not a Christmas story, but it is a woman who was burned out. Very familiar passage here in, in Mark Gospel chapter 5. You all know about this. It says this. Now a certain woman, Jesus was actually going to another house to heal a, a, a girl that was dying. But it says here in verse 25, Mark 5.25, a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. She had an, an affliction or an infirmity the Bible refers to as this issue or flow of blood. Notice verse 26, and had suffered. Here's a woman who had suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now think about this. Twelve years spending all she had, going to doctors. She placed expectation and her hope that these physicians would be able to make her better. And the Bible says she grew worse. Boy, how disappointing would that be? How disappointing. Not only was she experiencing the loss of all that she had, but she grew worse. By the way, not only did she get worse... But in this religious, oppressive climate in this first century, when Jesus was on the earth, during this time, if you go back into Leviticus chapter 15, the the chapter uh, on the laws of of these physical, it actually gives a whole chapter on the, the, uh, the affirmity or the affliction of blood discharge. It actually goes into that in the 15th chapter of Leviticus. It's talking about the diseases and issues of that nature. We find that this woman was actually uh, forbid to even come close to the tabernacle. She could not offer a sacrifice. In fact, she was regarded as an individual in that community as being defiled and rejected. So here's a woman, in fact, in, in their day, anything that a woman or anything with a person, I should not just a woman, if a man had it, the same thing applied. If there was a physical discharge or some kind of an infirmity of this nature, they considered their clothes, their home, uh, even 
Chairs. If you sat on a chair and people knew about it, you were considered religiously and uh, uh, physically defiled. Uh, They were to be isolated from society. So not only was she out of money and faced the disappointment and the burnout and stress of trying to get help, but she was rejected from even coming into the temple, rejected by family. So she had a tremendous uh, burden on this woman. And it's amazing how they would even exist in this situation. You know, imagine this, that, that... that uh, you have a problem that is not getting any better, it's getting worse, and just the fact that if people would find out about what you had as a problem, they would look at you. So she carried a stigma, the stigma of defilement, and they actually looked at it as being cursed by God. You're cursed by God. And so when people looked at you, they'd look down, they'd, look, they'd, they'd be very condescending. And so this woman obviously, possibly, doesn't say this, but in many cases, even family would be repelled by this problem. So it wasn't just a situation in, in the personal sense or the financial, but there was a relational and there was a spiritual consequence. And then you add the religious environment that was connected in that community because you had Pharisees and scribes and Sanhedrin that would teach. They were the teachers and the pastors of that day. And their ministry to the people was a preaching. It would be a a ministry that was filled with a very negative message. It would be a message about how you are lawbreakers, how you are sinners and how you need to do more. You need to bring more sacrifices and you need to obey these laws. And by the way, they, don't, they didn't only just have the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees added these cleansing traditions. For instance, they had to wash their hands seven times and they had to go through these rituals that were so oppressive. The, the Pharisees, again, who were their modern-day pastors and shepherds, they were not loving people. They did not connect with the people. They stayed in their synagogues, and they demanded your money, and they demanded you to bring sacrifices to them, and they loved to be seen in the marketplaces, and they loved their big robes they'd wear And they would always want you to look at them and admire them. But these Pharisees, for the most part, were mean. They were negative. And they always let you know that you're never, ever meeting the standard. You're you're never good enough. You're never, you're not right. The message of forgiveness, the message of acceptance, the, the spirit of compassion, was never known in that day. It was never known. People did not know a message of hope. It was always a message that you're not doing enough. Can you imagine being part of a church where the pastors always say, you're not doing enough, Larry. Not giving enough, Paula. Not sacrificing enough. Uh, You know, 
And, and you're, you're not doing more. You need to do more. <clears throat> Can you imagine being under that oppressive? Oh, by the way, did you see Sister Sue, Susan over here? She's got an infirmity. Everyone, stay away from her. She's cursed by God. Stay away from her. She's got an issue of blood. Don't, don't talk to her. She's under a curse. <gasps> okay. We don't want to be around her. She's a sinner. And you know the way people, because of that kind of teaching, that kind of teaching, you know what it would do? People would stay away from you. Maybe, maybe you were a close friend. And you knew this woman. But the priest said, you're defiled. I can't, I can't have coffee with you anymore. I, I can't talk to you. You're cursed by God. And I don't, stay away from my kids. Stay away from them. I don't, I don't want to go around you anymore. You're afflicted. Something must be wrong with you. Now, we don't have that kind of attitude in most churches in America today. Thank God. Amen? However, maybe you find out that someone in your family or maybe someone in the church or someone is broken. Maybe they're wounded. Maybe there's sin in their life. Jesus, when he, I love this next verse. Notice what it says here, right here. After all of this suffering and, and remorse, I love what it says in verse 27. It says, when she heard about Jesus. I wonder what she heard. When she heard about Jesus. You know what she heard? I'm going to tell you what she heard. She heard that Jesus, contrary to Pharisees, contrary to the teachers that were in the center, when she heard that Jesus was moved with compassion towards lepers, and that He was a friend of sinners. When, she, when this woman heard that Jesus took the time to actually listen he took the time to listen to people. I can imagine, because the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus because He sat with sinners when they were drunk, might even have been high. Jesus actually went to the marketplace. Pharisees and the teachers and the Sanhedrin, they never got into the marketplace with the people. Jesus got into the marketplace. He got right down in the lake with them. Got into their boat. And He began to perform miracles where their boats were sinking with fish. And Peter, she probably heard the story about Peter, how Peter told the Lord, Peter told the Lord, He says, Lord, I, I, need, you to, I need you to get away from me. I can't understand why You would give me this miracle of of, of sinking boats with breaking nets and fish and unbelievable supply of, of your favor and love. Get away from me because I'm a wicked man. Peter felt unworthy to receive anything good because of the teaching of that day. In other words, God doesn't do anything good for bad people. That's the teaching. But Jesus comes along and He starts doing great things, miraculous things. He begins to bless sinners 
with miracles and with supply. It was contrary to the teaching. So when she hears, verse 27, when it says, when she heard about Jesus, there's four things. I want you to write this down. Four things that she does. First of all, she hears. My question today to you is, how are you hearing? What are you hearing? Do you hear His love and compassion? Are you hearing that Jesus is coming to say to you today, you're forgiven? No one's ever said that up until this time. You're forgiven. Now the Pharisees or the priests would announce people, you're clean because you fulfilled certain rituals. And Jesus told the ten blind men to go show yourself to the priests. All the priests would do is this. They'd look over your body. If you had leprosy, they'd look over you, look on your garments, and they'd say, all right, you're clean. Get out of here. Boy, that's a great way for a pastor to treat his people. You're clean. Get get out of here. You're wasting my time. Next. Next. All right. I think you look clean. No, you're not clean. Get out of here. You're not doing enough. Can you imagine that kind of a spirit? That was the spirit that was in the synagogues in Jesus' day with these kind of leaders. Jesus comes along, and he comes with compassion. He comes with a sense of, 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 of revealing the heart, and he's, and he's talking about the Father, for God so loved the world, the Father so loved that he sent his only Son, that who should ever believe should not perish. And he comes, and he begins to tell paralytics, rise, take your bed and walk. This is a new day for you. You're forgiven. I love you. Can you imagine that? It changed their whole life. It transformed them. Talk about a Christmas present. This woman was changed. Four things. First of all, she heard. Then she came. Everyone say come. If what you hear does not motivate you to come, then you haven't heard. If you haven't been motivated to draw closer, then your hearing's messed up. What you're hearing is not right. Because what you hear should take you to the second stage, and that's, I'm coming. I'm drawing close. I'm not going to let anymore what other people has done to me, the offenses of the past, the physicians, what the Pharisees have told me, how they've rejected me, how they've treated me. I'm not going to let what others have done, what other churches have done, what other pastors have done, what other people have done, I'm not going to let them restrict me from coming and getting my miracle. He heard, she heard, then she came. See, if you're not coming, it's because you're not hearing. Do you hear what I'm saying? See, I need to be constantly hearing the grace. I need to be constantly hearing that there's a Father who's for me and not against me. I need to be constantly hearing that I am blessed, that I'm a daughter, I'm a son. I need to be hearing that I'm not an orphan, I'm not an outcast, I'm not cut off, I'm not a curse, that I am blessed, that I am loved by my Father. It's not who I am, it's who He is in me. I'm I'm not a basket case, I'm not a victim. I am loved, I am created in His image. I'm no longer under the curse of this problem that 
All things have passed away. All things have become new. She came. You see, when she came, she came because the truth overcame the lie that was in her mind. She, she made a decision. She confronted these lies, these offenses that was in her mind. Let me tell you, folks, you will never move your body until you move your mind. And you'll never move your mind until you begin to change the way you hear. I've got to learn to discern what I'm hearing. Because if you're hearing negative, fearful, and if you're, the image of your God is a God with a mean, angry face. Remember a young man coming one time. He says, you know, Pastor Ray, it's so hard for me to have an image of God the Father because my own natural father was always angry. And when you talk to me about God the Father who is has a smile. He's, his favor is on me. I, I can't picture that. And I said, you need to replace the image of your dad's face with a God who loves and he's smiling. He says, I can't do that. I can't picture God smiling at me. I said, yes, you can. And you need to start replacing the lie with the truth. Because when Jesus took your place, and when Jesus died upon the cross, and when He became sin, the Bible says our Heavenly Father turned His back on His Son. That was the last time He's ever turned His back on sin. Because when He rose from the dead, it meant that the Father in heaven received the sacrifice, and He will never, ever turn His back on you. Ever again. He looks at you cleansed, healed, restored, forgiven. He looks at you with compassion. He looks at you with faith. I love what Paul said in Timothy. He says, I before was a persecutor, blasphemous. I persecuted the church. But through Jesus Christ and the grace that was bestowed upon me, with faith and love. That means when God thinks about you. He sees you and He believes in you. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, He believes in you. That is really... How many here have ever had someone believe in, in you? That's so important. That's what, that's what this woman experienced. What she heard caused her to come. But then when she began to come, it's not enough just to come. The third thing is she spoke. Notice what the Bible says here about what she said. This is the key in overcoming. For she said, if I only may touch the clothes, I what? She didn't say, well, I hope, I hope I get better. I hope coming to Open Heavens Church today, I, I hope something happens. No, she said, I will be made whole. When she came, she said to herself, everyone say speak. She spoke. She spoke to herself. I know. I will touch, when I touch the hem of his garment, I will be made. 
Some of us need to be starting to say things like that. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to be a good employee. I'm going to expect a raise this year. I'm going to have an awesome marriage. My kids are going to grow to be amazing, mighty men and women of God. See, she chose not to linger in the lie of what the curse of the law brought. She said, I know. I know. I know when I touch him, I'm going to be made better. Do you know that there's a battle right there? How many of you have ever been in that battle when the lie has been looming and the facts, the facts are glaring you in the face about what the law says about you and maybe your own failures, maybe your own issues in life, they're glaring you at the face. Right there, I have to take the word and I have to say, you know what, lie? God's word says, I'm cleansed and I'm forgiven. I'm healed and I am coming with expectancy. The last thing is this, is that she touched. She not only spoke, but, but she, actually it's not touched. She reached. The word is reached. She heard, she came, she spoke, and then she reached. See, faith reaches and it presses through the crowd. This woman literally, in her faith, began to press through the crowd. There's a pressing. And you know, there's a resistance. Some of you today, you came this morning and maybe there, it was just, just, just tough to get here. Just, just getting here. You pressed. You pressed. You were reaching. Sometimes people say, you know, God, you know my address. I'm here. I've been waiting here for you to refresh me, touch me, heal me, bless me. You said I'd have abundant life. I'm here waiting for it. I don't know where you're at. You're not going to get anything. Faith reaches. There's a reaching. What does that mean, reach? What, what, what are you reaching for? In other words, you reach when you begin to make some exchanges. Okay, I choose to believe God's going to meet me. I choose to believe. I'm going to enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. I don't want to, but I'm reaching. I'm going to lift my hands without wrath and doubting. I'm reaching to you, Father. And He's reaching back. And I love what it says here at the end. That while she's in this, it says immediately. Everyone say immediately. How many of you know God wants to do an immediate work in your life? Immediately. The fountain of her blood dried up. She felt, everyone say feel. She felt something in her body. God wants you to feel it. That she was healed of her affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? I mean, Jesus literally stopped in his tracks. Do you want to stop God in his tracks? 
You want God to stop? Thank you, Jerry, that's true. God wants to be stopped. In his... He was actually going somewhere, but her faith, her faith stopped the Son of God. Who, who touched me? God wants you to know that you can stop Him. Now, some of you never, well, Pastor Ray, that's, that's a little arrogant, is it? No, God wants you to stop Him. God wants your faith that can literally move the heavens. Your faith can do that. It stopped Him. Who touched me? It's going to draw some attention. And here's this woman. Oh, man, she's... Again, because she has no understanding of the, the ramifications of all this. But what's so beautiful here, the disciples said, Lord, you see the multitude, they're thronging, and you ask who touches you. And he looked around to see who had done this. But the woman, verse 33, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. I love this. Verse 34, and he said to her, I love the first words out of Jesus' mouth. He says, daughter. He doesn't say woman. He says, daughter. What he's saying, you're in my family. You're family. You're not cut out. You're not pushed out. You're family. You're family. You're not an outcast. Your family. People need to know that that's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Your family. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, your faith. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You know what? How do we move from burnout to breakthrough? Powerful picture in this passage. First of all, that woman refused to allow her problem and her affliction to define her. She chose to hear and she chose to believe the good news. Do you know what? All of us God has called all of us to live an abundant life. He calls you, even Christmas. I believe God wants to give all of us an, a, an abundant Christmas, a great Christmas, a powerful Christmas. I believe He wants your life, no, no matter how hard, how deep, how offended, how hurtful, whatever things we've all walked through, Jesus takes this woman uses this woman through the, the, the her her story has been told through the centuries but in this situation this woman she heard she came she spoke remember you need to speak and then she reached and then she embraced her calling as a daughter she's a daughter i want to just show a video clip here could we show this video clip and then I'm going to come up here and close here.
question is a question. Do you think it's weird that this comes naturally to me? My Christmas credit card bill. Don't worry, guys. Dave Ramsey's my uncle. <laughs> I believe uh, Christmas is uh, basically what God did for us. That's a lie. I really love the stuff I can get. <laughs> So a true story, uh, Christmas 2001, my son Hudson was recruited to play the baby Jesus in the Christmas program, and uh, I was sitting on the front pew, and uh, everything's great, I mean, it was just fine, and then this teenage girl comes out playing Mary, and she's, she's holding my son, and, uh, and it just hit me, right? That's what, that's what God did. That, that he put his son in the arms of a, a teenage girl, knowing full well that his son would eventually end up on a cross. And I just, I wept. I couldn't, I couldn't even talk. And I realized that if it were up to me, mankind would be out of luck. I know I won't ever live anything in that without knowing this one. Thank God for you. That's a powerful. Amen. Let's just bow our heads, shall we? Just feel the Lord wants to keep, just to remind us to keep the meaning of Christmas alive in our hearts. Jesus gave, the Father gave his Son. And I believe the Lord wants to just 
re-energize, refresh. The most important thing in Christmas is Him living in our hearts, living in our life, renewing our vision and healing us. Like the woman with the issue of blood, she heard the news and she came. Maybe today you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, there's been obstacles in my life and I've never really let Jesus in my life. Never really let him in. I've known all about him. I've heard the message. But I've never really received the gift of salvation. Maybe you've had a religious experience, but not a relational walk with the Lord. I I even felt the Lord just lay that on my heart today. Even about salvation. Ask ourselves this question, does Jesus really live in my heart? Does he live there? Is faith growing? Do I know that I'm a son, a daughter? Do I know that? Or do I just know about the Christmas story? Do I just know about what the Bible says? Or do I really know him? So important. Maybe you might say, you know, Pastor Ray, I need to know the Lord in a relational way. Not just in a religious way, but relationally. That's you this morning. I want you to raise your hand. I need to know him relationally. That's you. Just just raise your hand this morning. Okay? Okay, I see your hand. You can put it down. I need to know him. I need to know him personally. I need to know that I can come and he will heal, he'll restore, he'll give me hope. Some of us this morning, I felt last night in prayer and I was in just praying, I felt the Lord just say, there's many today that are burned out. They're just all wound up, you're tired, and, and you just need uh, the refreshing touch of his presence. You just need a fresh baptism of his presence right now, even in your life. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Just the, need a, just need a refreshing touch. Can, can we all stand to our feet this morning? <clears throat> there was some, some hands out here. I... I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you'd like to come to be prayed for, I'd like to minister over you. I feel the Lord wants to do a work and bring such an amazing impartation. I know that I've grown weary in well-doing at times. It's not just about Christmas. It's about experiencing the love and the affirmation of His Son in our hearts. You know, I want you to know that his thoughts, his plans are always to give us a hope and a future. The woman with the issue of blood felt she had no hope. She was exhausted. She was tired. 
But what she heard was that Jesus fills her cup. Jesus makes the difference. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to live in fear. We can experience His love. I would like everyone to say a prayer with me. Would you say a prayer with me this morning, all of us? And then I'm going to pray and minister. John, Kathy, David, could you come? And other, some of our leaders, if you could come around these as well. But I want us all to say as a prayer this morning, could we all pray together uh, verbally with me? Would you say this? Dear Father, we love you. We thank you that you made a way. We thank you, Lord, that we can cast all our cares on you because you care for us. We are coming to you because we've heard the good news. And Lord, you have taken our sins and our sorrow and our burden and you have given us your peace. You have forgiven us. You've washed us. And we stand here guiltless free from the past. The future is hopeful. We thank you for bringing us into the family and crowning us with loving kindness. You've given us beauty, the oil joy for gladness, and the garments of praise. For heaviness. Father, we love you. Let this Christmas be a great Christmas where your presence invades our homes, fills our family with love. Lord, gives us hope for the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to just release the rest of you to go. We're going to pray and minister here. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.